Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Mamma Mia Out Loud! Hello and welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud. It's what women are talking about on Monday, the 17th of October. I am Holly Wainwright. I am Mia Friedman. I'm Jessie Stevens. And on the show today, why Britain's new Prime Minister is being compared to a lettuce. Why skin is the forgotten frontier of the body positivity movement and in defence of the boyfriend breakfast. But first... In case you missed it, a weather update, the weather forecast, which everyone tunes into Mum Mayor Out Loud to just get an update on the weather. And if you have been following the narrative that is La Nina, then I have some potentially good news. The Bureau of Meteorology has revealed when Australia's third consecutive La Nina season will likely come to an end. Is it tomorrow? Almost. Based on current modelling, the bomb believes this current La Nina phenomenon will be a relatively short-lived event. Oh, my God. You've made my day. Can I give you a kiss? Yes, you can. It's going to continue a little bit for the time being. We can handle that. Because well, sending love to everyone in Victoria exactly. who are currently under water. Well, easy for us to say in our dry studio. The peak worst of it is expected in November, and while we should expect wetter than normal conditions after that, summer is not going to be completely rained out. And as you both say, it is one thing for people in Sydney to go, "We want a summer with sunshine." The reason that that news is so important is because this is the difference between someone losing their house or not, and I think that that's really, really good. News. We need the rain to stop. Excuse the bluntness, Prime Minister, but given everything that has happened, what credibility do you have to continue governing? This weekend, you might have seen a picture or a video or a meme of the British Prime Minister Liz Truss next to a lettuce. There is actually a real-time video running on YouTube that's set to sort of ambient music of a picture of Liz Truss and a picture of an iceberg lettuce with googly eyes on it. And the caption is, who is going to last longer? Yes, the British Prime Minister, who has only been in the job for six weeks, and for four of those, she was ostensibly out of action because Queen Elizabeth died, you might remember, and that sent everybody into a month of mourning. She's really had a hard start, hasn't she? She met the Queen just 48 hours before the Queen died, then she had to do all those official things while Boris Johnson looked very jealous at the Queen's funeral, things have gone rapidly downhill from there. She is now apparently on the way out. Here's a little bit of one of her wonderful colleagues says. Can Liz Truss survive? No, I think the game is up. And it's now a question as to how the succession is managed. We have got to a point now where the public interest and the party's interest and the country's interest 
uh, now demand that we get on with this. And if it were done, it needs to be done now. That was Conservative MP Crispin Blunt saying what everybody's saying, which is that Liz Truss is about to lose the job that she's just had. I want to say I told you so, although actually I didn't tell you so because we kept meaning to talk about Liz Truss (laughs) on the show. But it coincided with when I had to take a bit of time off, so we didn't do it. But when she got that job, I immediately messaged you two and said, this is a glass cliff. We should, you know, be happy about a woman being in power again. And let's remember, this is the third female British prime minister. So they are way ahead of us here in Australia. But like Theresa May before her, she had been handed an almost impossible job. Now, The notion of the glass cliff is when a woman is given a top job at exactly the most precarious moment when everything is about to come tumbling down and she can take the fall. What did she do? So I've been hearing all these things about this terrible decision she's made and something about the value of the pound collapsing and the economy. And then she let go a person in her team. The Chancellor of the Exchequer, which sounds like a character out of Hogwarts. Yep. So for a start, Britain is in a god-awful mess at the moment, financially in particular, in a lot of debt, like almost twice the amount of debt to GDP that Australia is in post-pandemic. So a lot of debt. A lot of its institutions are crumbling from public transport to the NHS, and there have now been 12 years of consistent conservative rule. So people in general are pissed off and saying the same people have been in charge for a really long time and they're not fixing anything. So why does everyone keep voting them back in then? They don't. Well, indeed. Good question. Well, they do because they've been in charge for 12 years. Yes, but this particular Conservative Party has been in from Theresa May to Boris to Liz Truss. It's been that period that we had with Gillard and Rudd and the absolute chaos of leadership. The party itself is in complete disarray. They are. So someone has to take the blame for all that, right? The fact that nothing has been fixed in 12 years. We have to throw in the pandemic, obviously, the last two years of that. So whoever was going to be in charge right now has a very hard job. Now, Liz Truss, I don't want to sound unkind, but she is not the most impressive leader anyway. And there was some talk when I was in Britain, just about the time she was about to be elected as the leader in waiting in August, that The fact that she was quite mediocre showed that there was a level of equality going on between the sexes because mediocre men are always getting elected and now there's a mediocre woman in charge. And things have not got any better since she stepped up to the cliff's edge. As you referenced, Jessie, on Friday she had to fire her chancellor and the chancellor of the exchequer is the treasurer. She had a chancellor called Kwasi Kwarteng who had to step down on Friday after a mini budget that sent the stock market into free fall. And she's replaced him with one of the men who ran against her in the leadership contest, Jeremy Hunt. She's had to do U-turns on these tax cuts that she'd promised that seemed ridiculous to everybody, even those who'd benefit, because, as I mentioned, the UK government is in a ridiculous amount of debt at the moment. And the opinion polls are an absolute shocker. New ones released today say that if the UK went to the polls now, the Tories, the Conservative Party, would lose more than 200 seats and it would be a landslide. Now, this is not Liz Truss's fault, back to what you were just saying. She's literally been in charge for six weeks. So it's not like everything went wrong in six weeks, but that's why it's a glass cliff. Well, hang on. She was the one that green lit 
the mini budget that had a lot of tax cuts for the rich and that sent the markets into freefall. That was on her. Well, it is on her. But what I mean is the state that Britain is in right now, you can't lay all that at the feet of a prime minister who's literally been in charge for six weeks, right? But what you do need when you're a party that's struggling after 12 years are some people to blame shit on so that you can convince people that you're moving on. Right now, today, in fact, her enemies are gathering. They're having a lovely dinner tonight, led by Rishi Sunak, who was her closest competitor in the race for the leadership, are going to have a nice dinner with all of her enemies. Apparently, no confidence letters are being filed everywhere. And more than 62% of Tory supporters believe that they chose the wrong woman for the job and her days are numbered, hence the lettuce. Holly, how long do you reckon she's got? Are we saying this week, this week we're going to lose Liz Truss? I think it would be very likely. And the thing that's interesting, and you know, the British press and the British system in general is particularly cutthroat, it seems, because the whole lettuce thing is so cruel, obviously. But the problem is, is the way that the system is set up there, and it's set up similarly here after all that turmoil that you referenced before, Jesse, the Rudd-Gillard years, is that you're not really allowed to kick out a leader in less than a year. You have to give them a period of grace. So really, the only way Liz is going to go is if she's pushed and pushed and pushed to the point that she's going to resign. So they can file all their no confidence motions. Lots of her colleagues will refuse to work with her. The public criticism will get louder and louder and louder until she's just untenable, right? Mm. She's got to throw her hand in no matter what, which is a brutal process. I don't reckon this is a glass cliff. I reckon this is really bad leadership This is a party in turmoil. It's interesting that Theresa May was also described as we talked about the shit skirt. And then Boris Johnson, and I know that he was a very different person, but this has been untenable for every leader. And so I think with her, I don't think it's the fact she's a woman. What she did, I heard it described by a political analyst as she diagnosed what was wrong with Britain and the economy and then she came up with a treatment and she went, all right, this is the treatment that I'm going to offer. And that gave everyone some hope, thinking that, you know, the adults were in charge. And then what she essentially had to do is say, I still stand by my diagnosis, but I have no treatment. I can't fix it. Because Also, she- my treatment made the patient much sicker. Exactly. Because the market's tanked. And while the lettuce is funny, Although you have to wonder about wasting a lettuce at a time of great recession because I think there's a lot of households who can't even afford a bloody lettuce. Lettuces are expensive. Yes. Someone is going to go and take it and go, I actually need a salad. But while the lettuce is funny, what's happening in the UK is not funny. Like I keep looking at at the way that she's being described and you can go incompetence, ha ha ha, bumbling fools, she's not a very good speaker, all of that. Like I'd be terrified. If I was in Britain right now, And these are the people in charge making massive decisions at a time when the NHS is under this kind of stress. Where is the leadership? Look at at America during COVID with Trump. Yeah. I mean, it's really scary stuff. For for all our grumbles about our political leaders, they're pretty moderate compared to what seems to be gross incompetence. Yeah, they they don't seem to have a plan. Holly, how are your parents feeling? Well, my parents. It's interesting you say that because my father actually had to go to hospital last week and he waited 12 hours to see a doctor in the emergency room at their local hospital. And every person he saw there was saying how just beaten down they are. You know, all of these issues are complicated. And you have to remember that Britain was hit very differently by the pandemic than we were, for example. But 
What is interesting about the trust situation is that Boris Johnson was also enormously on the nose, like hated, Mm. absolutely hated by the end of his leadership run. And we spoke briefly a few weeks ago about the encouraging diversity in Liz Truss's cabinet, right? And I think that was a concerted effort to try and say we've changed. Like, this is a new face of the Conservative Party. We've got all these interesting people. We've got a new leader. But they're just the same party with the same issues and the same philosophies and the same ideology, whoever you sit in those seats right now. So that's why I do think it's a glass cliff, not because I think that Liz Truss is some sort of hero who's been misrepresented. But I just think it's like when you're a party that's facing down, we know we're going to lose. We know we're going to lose in an absolute landslide. We might not survive. You decide who you're going to throw to the grist because whoever those leaders are in this terrible time, they're not going to get another chance. Do you know what I mean? But aren't they saying that Boris is going to get another chance potentially? Boris will not get another chance. The people of Britain hate Boris so much. I mean, I think that would be a walking miracle, which you can never rule out. But I think that whoever gets in next is probably going to be another straw man in a way, or woman, because they're going to lose. But they've got to convince people that they're listening. And certainly Liz hasn't done that. I want a country where people can get... It's what I was elected by my party to do. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. Body positivity is not about health, it's about combating discrimination against marginalized bodies. The beauty industry is a whole different monster in itself that capitalizes diversity, but is still misogynistic and racist and ableist. The skin positivity movement is essentially the body positivity movement's younger, lesser known cousin. For the last few years, the body positivity movement has gained a lot of traction, I think we can say. Certainly, things are much better than when I first started in media. We see models now and influencers of all shapes and sizes on catwalks and in ads and in social campaigns, which is a great thing. But the place this acceptance movement seems to have stopped is pretty much at the neck Because at the same time as we're seeing more diversity in bodies, we are seeing less and less diversity in faces. Women in their early 20s are getting Botox and fillers, and there has been a massive spike in skincare alongside this. Sales are up and interest is up, as you'll know, because we had a skin summit recently. But there's no movement that encourages women to embrace what our skin naturally does in the same way as we champion the acceptance of what our bodies naturally do. Lauren Ironmonger is a journalist who's written a really thought-provoking piece in the Sydney Morning Herald, and it's called Why Skin is the Forgotten Frontier of the Beauty Acceptance Movement. And she talks about how skin conditions like acne and psoriasis have not been included in the idea of body acceptance and things like scarring and even things like pigmentation. She says that all the interest in skincare is about treating and curing and erasing and covering up rather than 
accepting or normalizing? Well, I guess capitalist Jesse will yep. say, what will you say? I will say that there is a lot of money to be made yes. in telling women there is something wrong with them and trying Correct. to sell them the solution. And the body acceptance movement, I think there was money to be made off that. Yes, there was in terms of it's just smart business, which I can't believe it took brands so long to realise mm. that if you reflect more women back to themselves instead of making them feel terrible, they're more likely to spend money products yeah. like your underwear or I mean you just have to look at Victoria's Secret versus the the rise of a brand like Fenty which is now a billion dollar company Rihanna's brand who Fenty lingerie and even Skims you look at their advertising in their marketing and their online e-commerce it's all about women of size all shapes inclusion. Yeah. and sizes yeah Jessica Defino is another beauty journalist and she's also questioned this whole idea of why skin is like the forgotten child of beauty acceptance. She has a newsletter called The Unpublishable and she wrote this week, the field of dermatology and the skincare industry have pathologized a lot of normal healthy behaviors of human skin. Normal healthy human skin experiences hyperpigmentation when it's injured, for instance. Normal healthy human skin ages, it gets wrinkled, it loses collagen mass, it's sometimes dry. And all of these things have been messaged as health issues, as flaws to be fixed, and that's simply not true. She says, who's to blame? It isn't only the industry and influencers, though. Individuals have replaced diet culture with skincare culture too. The skin is simply a less stigmatised area on which to exercise our need for control. Hole, can you relate? Very much. It's so interesting because we've talked about this a bit, but skin and having good skin, in inverted commas, has become a real status symbol in the current climate. You can see that rich girl skin, as they call it, that sort of plumped up shiny face that many of us have been aspiring to for a couple of years now, I'd say, is everywhere. And you can pick it out in a crowd almost. If I were in the queue at the post office, I could tell you which one of these women has been watching beauty content on Instagram and has been, you know, convinced to purchase all the serums. And I count myself as one of those people. We've talked about this a lot that I think that during the, I mean, not that I'm counting myself as having glorious rich girl skin, but I've certainly got an enormous array of bottles in my beauty cabinet now that I did not have a few years ago. And it is all when you describe it how you just did then, Mia, in an attempt to stop my skin doing what it wants to do, what is natural for it to do at this point in my life, which is to dry out, which is to lose volume, which is to wrinkle and crease and to get little dark spots where I haven't been vigilant with my expensive sunscreen. I am in a constant battle with my skin and that's quite a surface thing. The only thing I would draw a question mark about this idea is I actually think we see more raw skin conditions on social media than we ever have. I mean, even celebrities like Kim Kardashian will show you her psoriasis, her red angry patches on her legs, which I don't think celebrities were doing that a few years ago. And I know that in our You Beauty group on Facebook, where women just endlessly talk about beauty issues, they'll happily share and show, this is my acne, this is my pigmentation, what do I do about this? And they are battling a lot of very real skin conditions that, again, I feel like there did used to be more shame around. So I would question whether there has been no progress. But what do you think, Jesse? They're framed as before 
photos. The point made in this article was brilliant, which is that these aren't medical conditions and they've been pathologised. That's not true, psoriasis is a medical condition. Yes, yes, but pigmentation or Mm. wrinkles or dryness Mm, or even acne. And this is the thing is that you can use all the right products, you can spend thousands on your skin and you can still have acne. And as someone who has had acne in the past and I've had eczema and all these Mm. conditions, there are a few things that make you feel more powerless and more claustrophobic. And, you and a f- bit of shame, and right, Because it must be your fault. You mustn't be yes. eating right. You mustn't be washing your face correctly. And have you tried this, you know, potion or that potion? It feels as though when you meet people, it's the first thing that they see. And because skin has also been sort of developed as this proxy to health. We have this idea that all your health, and Gwyneth Paltrow is someone who's contributed to this, is shown in the glowiness of your skin. That is as inaccurate as the idea that your BMI is a proxy for your health. Like we've moved towards health at every size, but skin, it's like, Mm. no, you have to have clear skin in order to be a healthy person. And Do you remember early in your relationship with Luca when you – broke out. Yeah. You had some weird breakout thing and it was really bad. Yeah. And it yeah. lasted a few weeks. And it is crippling to your self-esteem. Mm. And it's just so interesting that with the body acceptance, there's still so much money to be made off trying to tell yeah. me how to fix that. I remember being a teenager and having, you know, quite bad acne and saying to mum, I really wanted all the medicines because all the girls at my school were going on medicines for it. And she said, no, there's nothing wrong with you. It's not a medical condition. That's something that is controversial and I know for some people it actually is and it can be really painful and, and stuff. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be a medical condition to impact on you. No. You know, it can Im- impact on you because it is the society that we live in. I'm a bit torn about this because I can I agree with it on one hand, but on the other hand, you can't say that people with psoriasis or severe acne or maybe eczema on your face would be fine if there was no stigma attached to it and that what we just need is more people with those conditions and then they wouldn't need to treat them. You know, that psoriasis, for example, and eczema, I've had eczema on my face as well and I've also had acne, they're really uncomfortable. Yeah, that's true. You know, they can be painful, they can be itchy, they can be uncomfortable. Yes, they do impact on on your mental health because You might be able to cover up something on your body, but you can't cover up something on your face. So it means that you don't have control about the way you present to the world. So I just think that it's a little bit of a scrambled egg that you can't just say it's exactly the same as the body acceptance movement. Because what we're trying to say is with body acceptance and diversity and inclusion is we're trying to make that tent bigger and we're trying to make those beauty standards literally wider so that it's not just one type of body that's considered attractive or even acceptable. as that's happened, our vision of what is an acceptable, beautiful face has become narrower. I completely agree with that and that's the part that I really push back on, this idea that a beautiful face has got to be one that looks ageless or 23 Mm. or has no lines and no pigmentation and no freckles, you know, women with freckles. If there's been any improvement in acceptance, it's been around freckles. Because remember, Nicole Kidman used to have a Mm. face and body covered with freckles and now she doesn't. Jessica Defino had this quote in that newsletter that you referred to, which was, body positivity didn't deliver us from beauty standards. It delivered us a Botox boom which I think is because she basically says you can't just keep widening. As one thing widens, something else narrows. And 
that is where skin has found itself. It's so interesting though, sorry, just as you're talking, it's making me think about anti-aging because we've had, there's a lot of controversy around that phrase now and it's quite out of fashion to say that a product is anti-aging. And I'm all for that because I'm like, yeah, aging is great. But then on the other hand, I really sympathize with that whole I want my outside to match my inside thing because Mm. everybody knows that as soon as you do have a few more wrinkles on your face and looser skin, you start getting treated differently, just as I'm sure you start getting treated differently when you have a noticeable skin condition on your face. So if you just want to get on with your life and not have everyone make assumptions about yourself, that's where the massive temptation to sort of erase and fit in comes from, right? Yes, but I think that that's also something that has been sold to us by capitalism, that idea that you do get treated differently. And I think it's all very convenient because it requires us oh, to buy Oh, wait till you get older. You won't have products. to. It's not sold to you by capitalism. It's just actually life. It's reality. If you want to make Out Loud part of your routine five days a week, we release segments on Tuesdays and Thursdays just for Mamma Mia subscribers. To get full access, follow the link in the show notes and a big thank you to all our current subscribers. Gwyneth Paltrow is ready to share the recipes for her boyfriend breakfasts. Okay, voila, these onions are a caramelized. Look at these beautiful eggs from the farmer's market. Holly, I know you've already read all of them. Holly's the only one here who still has a boyfriend. I have a fiancé, you have a husband. Holly has a boyfriend. Indeed, I do. Let me explain the boyfriend breakfast. Here's a little grab of what Gwenny said. Hello Vogue, I'm Gwyneth Paltrow and today I'm going to be making one of my favorite boyfriend breakfasts, the frittata. I call these boyfriend breakfasts because when my husband and I were dating, we started this tradition of me cooking him breakfast every Saturday morning and I would come up with all of these really creative breakfasts and it was like something I put time into every week planning and I call them boyfriend breakfast and then it sort of Can I just say, I'm just going to start every conversation that we have lately with, hello, Vogue. (laughs) So I just love it. Hello, Vogue. Vogue. I also need everyone to know that she was wearing Gucci while she was frying bacon, which seems dangerous. But like a Gucci bra top, like it was, yeah, it was really an interesting An interesting outfit. There wasn't an apron and that concerned people. And she never had her hair back and that also upset Mm -hmm. people. But that's not the point. What she says she does is that she would come up with surprising menus and found that prepping and getting creative in the kitchen was a way for her to disconnect from the other stresses in her life and focus entirely on her boyfriend. Gwenny always has her finger on the pulse, as you know, Holly, and this video is quite reminiscent of a TikTok trend, which is summed up by the hashtag stayathomegirlfriends. There is a whole movement on TikTok right now dedicated to young women, child-free in their 20s, staying at home while their well-to-do boyfriend goes to their full-time job. They do like day in the life of a stay-at-home girlfriend and they're responsible for the housework, the cooking, the going to the gym, getting all the jobs done and a lot of looking really pretty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they've got to look really good. Maintenance. Maintenance when the boyfriend gets home. It seems that Gwyneth is a little bit playing into that trend. The question is... Is a boyfriend breakfast innately subservient? Does it hark back to conservative values whereby a woman cooks and cleans for her husband and that is the extent of her worth as a human being? Or is it just a nice thing to do for someone that you love? 
Well, let's hear from Gwyneth because she, in fact, addresses this in the video near the start. I noticed that when I would tell people that I really love to cook for Brad, some of my friends were like, wow, that's so old fashioned. And they were kind of teasing me about it. So I kind of started pondering this question of, can you be a feminist and still like to do domestic things and kind of care for the people you love in that way? Can you be a feminist and still make breakfast? Discuss. It is the question of our era. It is a question of our she era. She decided that you could and she finished by saying it's actually she thinks it's a really strong feminist statement. Why? To make a boyfriend breakfast. Unclear. Okay. <laughs> so this reminds me a lot of when Miranda Kerr got married for the second time to Snapchat billionaire and owner Evan Spiegel. And at the wedding they had caterers because there were hundreds and hundreds of people there, but she excused herself from the wedding and went and made his dinner because they were having chicken and she wanted to make the dinner that he was going to eat. Oh, my goodness. Himself. And a lot of people were like, well, that's terrible and anti-feminist and other people were like, let her do what she wants. And I think what's interesting about what all of these things have in common, the stay-at-home girlfriends, Gwyneth's boyfriend breakfast, Miranda Kerr's wedding dinner, is that these are women who don't have to do it. These are really, really rich women who, for them, it's a novelty and it's almost ironic because they've got chefs and housekeepers and... It's like role-playing. It's, it's like, like role sexual role-playing. Role yeah. 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 100% it yeah. is. It's almost like BDSM yeah. <laughs> but but with housework, you know. It's like it's consensual. You know who's not making these videos? The women who have multiple kids who... Uh, in situations where it's expected of them, where they might be abused or shouted at if they don't do it, where they are not empowered, be working a full-time job and yet because of their culture or because of their situation in their relationship or their religion, they are expected to do all of this anyway. So it's kind of like for the others, it's like playing dress-ups. It's 100% like playing dress-ups. And I was thinking about it this weekend because – I have boyfriend breakfasts in my house on the weekends, every Saturday morning, just like Gwyneth, except that my boyfriend makes me breakfast on Saturday mornings, always. That's a nice tradition. We have had this tradition forever that on Saturday mornings, Brent makes me an omelette and it's my favourite thing about Brent. Maybe not my favourite thing <laughs> about Brent. It's up there on the list of things I like about Brent that I get my boyfriend breakfast on the weekend. People like that because they're like, oh, he makes you breakfast. Like, wow. And the thing is, A, that's ridiculous because, of course, he does. But also this problem here is exactly what you said, Mia. Is there's no problem with a woman choosing to show her love through food or a man choosing to it's throw their love through food. It's got nothing to do with feminism. Food. Yeah, exactly. It's got nothing to do with feminism. But also there is no issue with you doing that if you're choosing to do that. But for the vast majority of women in particular – Cooking food is not an act of love that is something that takes time and has a lot of thought, but something that you just have to freaking do several times a day, every day, rain, shine, whatever, is feed everybody who's in your house. And so I guess that's why when my boyfriend makes me breakfast, it's like, oh, that feels like an, a lovely act of care. But even I get my hackles up when I see women doing this kind of stuff being celebrated. It's a little bit like I remember there was a big stoush on the internet a while ago because a woman packed her husband's lunch every day 
And a lot of people got really upset, me included, I think, who were like, as if she doesn't have a million other things to do. And I think it's because, like very many tropes that are gendered generally, it feels like if a man does that for you, if a man in a heterosexual relationship, if a man makes you your breakfast on the weekend as a treat for you, it feels weirdly a little bit subversive. Whereas for women, it still feels a little bit, well, that's just what's expected. You have to do it anyway. And so it reflects poorly on all the rest of us who do not want to do it. I reckon the reason we're seeing more of it too, it has more to do with class and with gender because there is not a clearer class signifier that you are a rich person than being able to live in a sole income family. There's that thing about how in Western culture having tanned skin means that you're able to go on holiday and therefore you're rich, whereas in some Asian cultures having really white skin means you're rich because you don't work in the fields. This just means you're rich. <laughs> like yeah. if you have the time to cook for it's your partner. Status. Yeah, it's like status. when she says, I spend the whole week planning and being really creative. For most women who are expected to provide meals for their family, it's a massive burden. That you're doing not a, between. Not a fun thing. Now, that doesn't mean whether you choose to do it or don't choose to do it has anything to do with feminism. Of course, making breakfast or preparing a meal or vacuuming or doing domestic chores is not contraindicative to feminism. I mean, it's ridiculous. It doesn't disqualify you from anything. But if there is no reciprocity mm. and if it's just accepted of you, then it's not equal. There's also a theory that it's sort of in response to this hustle culture thing about having a slow life and going back in time because it's simpler. If you just have to make breakfast, the idea that Gwyneth wakes up on a Sunday and all she has to do is make, and that's not the truth, but that's how it looks in a video for Vogue, all she has to do is really focus on making breakfast for her boyfriend. That's a fantasy for most women. You kind of go, hey, that doesn't look so bad. Like the idea of getting up on a Sunday and having 45 things on your to-do list. And also it's cute. Like she's literally playing a role. She's wearing this cute outfit and she's a billionaire independently. <laughs> she's created goop. So like she does love to cook. Awesome. That's got nothing to do with feminism. That's yeah. just about what Gwyneth Paltrow wants to do. But I think saying that making a meal for someone or, or performing an act of housework is a strident act of feminism, I think that's just like blowing smoke up your own skirt, even if it is Gucci. <laughs> you know what else is a status symbol? Cooking bacon while wearing Gucci. A hundred percent. If I was doing this with no camera, I'd use my finger, but I'm being very sanitary. Mama Mia out loud! I've got a quick recommendation before we go. I am famous, well, I'm not famous for saying this, but I love a red lip these days. I do. It makes me feel confident. It makes me feel put together. I never used to wear a red lip when I was young. What's that about? I don't know. But anyway, now that I'm an older person, I've really embraced a bold lip. I even put it on when I'm at home if I'm working because it makes me feel together. But I'm really bad because I'm a wolf in the whole poodle and wolf matrix, which we've discussed on the show before. I'm really bad at putting bright red lipstick on. It smudges everywhere. It gets on things. It leaks into your lines. And I haven't got time for liners and lip primers and all this. So I am recommending this excellent Revlon lip crayon that I use all the time. That is foolproof, idiot proof, wolf proof red lip. So it is called Color Stay Matte Light Crayon because it's not one of those mattes that's really drying. You literally draw on your mouth as if you were drawing it on a cartoon and 
It's a brilliant shade of red. I can't tell you exactly what shade it is because the stickers come off that I always buy, but it's really easy to use. It stays put, it's not sticky, and I love it. And that is my recommendation for this week. If you subscribe to the Outlouders newsletter, we link to all our recommendations at the end of the week. There's a link in our show notes. That is all we have time for on this episode of Mamma Mia Out Loud. It was produced by Emma Gillespie with audio production by Leah Porges. And we will see you tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Big thanks to anyone listening who has become a Mamma Mia subscriber. Subscribers get access to every podcast, exclusive videos and all the great articles on Mamma Mia. Subscriptions cost as little as $5.75 a month. There's a link in our show notes.